When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Tom Butler. And I'm Brendan Duffy. You're listening to the James Bond A to Z podcast. Join us on this journey of discovery across the world of the 007 movies as we take an encyclopedic look at cinema's greatest spy films. We'll learn about the people who made them in front of the camera and behind, from Ken Adam to Max Zorin, with the occasional detour down a few rabbit holes. And we'll sometimes be joined by guests with unique insight into the world of Bond. This podcast is in no way affiliated with the James Bond brand, E.ON, or the Fleming Estate. We do our best to make sure the information is accurate, but sometimes we do get it wrong. If you want to correct us on something, or add some more detail, email us on podcast at jamesbond.co.uk. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the James Bond A to Z podcast, where F is for festive special. My name is Tom Butler, and joining me to roast his chestnuts over an open fire, it's Mr. Brendan Duffy. Ooh, lovely. Hello. And returning to the show for this festive favourite, he's always wanted to have Christmas in Turkey, it's Mr. Tom Wheatley. Hello, guys. Welcome back. Wow, that's <laughs> Thank positive. You very much. Yeah, well, it's not going to stay positive for very long, but uh, <laughs> I might start start on a high. Um, All high. Very good. And our, our last Christmas special was a No Time to Die spoiler special, but with uh, no new James Bond movie to talk about, we're going to talk about, take a look at Daniel Craig's new movie, Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery. We're also going to be taking a look at your correspondence and, of course, talking about James Bond. But first, how has 2022 been for you two guys? Uh, it's been oh. better than 2021, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've relocated, had a career change. It's been eventful, to say the least, but good. Overall, yeah. Nice. I've also relocated and had a career... Well, not career change. I've got a job change. You got fired. I got fired <laughs> again. Uh, and I'm doing a lot of running. More running than normal. Yes, because you do your own running uh, podcast slash YouTube channel, don't you? I do indeed, yes. Yeah. No, n- zero Bond mentions in it as well. What a shame. What yeah. a shame. Does, the crossover does, doesn't quite work. <laughs> There's not many good running... Well, I suppose... Craig, Craig's running's okay, but Roger refused to, didn't he? Yeah, yeah he said his. He, he said his. What was it? His gym teacher told him never to run because uh, yeah. he looked funny when he did it. Yeah. Um, but obviously, 2022 in the world of Bond, that was the 60th anniversary of the film series. What did you make of the celebrations uh, over the last 12 months? Mm. Well, I've been. Uh, y- you've been celebrating quite a bit, haven't you? I have. I mean, but what? I mean, did you indulge in the Sound of 007 documentary, for example? I, I, I watched the Sound of 007 on uh, a flight to LA, um, and very much enjoyed it. Actually, yeah, it was good. And of course, the you, um, the screenings throughout the year at the cinema. Of course, um, yeah. Yes. Which yeah. I think I managed to see just over half. But yeah, watched the, all the documentaries and the um, the live performance. But obviously, it was edited. A lot of the stuff I wanted to see. And of mm. course, you saw it in person, didn't you, Tom? I did. Yeah, I went yeah. to the Albert Hall, saw the Sound of Double O Seven in concert. It was great. It was really good fun. It was um, quite an emotional evening, actually. Seeing Shirley Bassey singing mm. out her hits, and of course, I think the highlight was David Arnold doing um, uh, "You Know My Name." 
in tribute yeah. to Chris Cornell, which was quite a mm. quite a touching tribute. I've never heard David Arnold sing, but I thought he was amazing. Might whack that one on Christmas Day with family. Absolutely, absolutely. But I mean, apart from the Sound of 007 uh, documentary, there's not been a huge amount to talk about, and the and the re-releases has there. No, I don't think so. I mean, it's it's. I mean, the Sound of 007 sort of took the biggest uh, bit of marketing I've seen for for the whole thing. But um, yeah, it's it's surprisingly small the amount of stuff. There's not many sort of experiential things happening either. No, they had the the auction, didn't they? Which um, none of us could afford to buy anything in, um, yeah. which was part of the celebrations. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people probably were hoping for you know the video game to come out, um, mm. a four K box set to be announced, mm. some form um, of exhibition, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think I guess in certain places they had the Bond in Motion exhibition, but um, yeah, not for us in the UK. Uh, and they did do an exhibition for the for the auction. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was kind of muted. No Bond announcements to talk of, really. No. Apart from the the Amazon series, was that this year that was announced? Probably. Yeah, but it's not not doesn't feel like a real big Bond announcement, does it? No. no. Okay. Well, let's dive into it first. We did put a call out to our listeners for various things. One of them being James Bond Christmas cat cracker jokes. Are you ready for these? Uh, I'm not actually. Uh, I don't think I'll ever be ready for them. Uh, I'm probably going to be less ready for them when I've listened to them. So, Wheatley, uh, Wheatley, you need to hold your sides because they might split. Yeah. Right, pull that cracker. Oh, yeah. oh you've got a hat, oh, a little lovely. whistle, yeah, and a little joke for you. What is James Bond's festive code name? I don't know. Ho ho seven. Okay. I think double ho seven might have worked better. That was from Darren Leafley. Why has he got a festive so. code name? I'm sure that's confusing. Well, it's a, it's a Christmas cracker. <laughs> back back, back to my six. It's like, remember, it's December. So yeah, it's yeah. ho ho seven. Who's <laughs> your festive uh, Ho ho seven, who? <laughs> double ho seven. Um, and then Jack McMorrow. I'm going to change it slightly just to, I think the punchline's better if you say this. What do you call James Bond in the bath? Uh, well, Brenda's laughing, so are you laughing at the, the the premise, or do you know the answer? <laughs> no, I've worked the answer out. <laughs> I don't know. Go on, what is it? Bubble 07. Bubble 07, yeah. Bubble 07. Mm, yeah, it's quite good. <laughs> yeah. uh. Come to my chalet, I give you Christmas surprises. A fine bird and a good stuffing, perfect. You certainly know how to satisfy a man. Well, let's dive into it then. So, um, I mean, this is totally off off the off the beaten track for for a James Bond podcast. But I uh, thought we'd talk about Glass Onion, uh, a Knives Out mystery, which at the time of listening to this will be available to watch on Netflix. Uh, of course, it's the sequel to Knives Out, the 2019 Ryan Johnson film. Um, and we all went to see it at the cinema, I believe. Yeah. Should we just do a light spoiler alert now? Well, or should we save spoilers for a little... No, let's just set... Let's just yeah, put just a spoiler, spoiler on. Spoiler on, but I, I can't think of anything that would... No, would, I can't, but I want to talk about a cameo. Okay. And they're quite okay. fun, I aren't get they? You. I yeah. get you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So both of you... Uh, we all saw it at the cinema. Was the cinema busy? Because it was only in cinemas for a week, wasn't it? It wasn't when I went. It was quarter full at most. Yeah, mine, mine was full. 
I went on a mm. Monday at Showcase. So they do their Showcase. Monday night. Monday night full, yeah. Oh, they, they had to put another screen on, that's it. Yeah, we missed the 7.30 and they put a 7.40 on because the first one was full. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. The screen I went to was, um, it was really full. It, was, uh, it wasn't like totally full, but like uh, it was one of the busier screens, cinema showings I've been to recently. Um, and it seemed to go down really well. There's obviously an appetite to see that film on the big screen. So it is a shame that they didn't put it on properly in, in cinemas but um it was probably the first netflix film i've seen at a cine world i've seen netflix films at a local like picture house type um at the broadway in letchworth but uh, not at the cine world so that's kind of a big deal isn't it i always think it's interesting when you when there's these films that are made for netflix or they're they're made to to be on netflix that people go and see them like in in droves it's it's quite impressive like if if, if you're going to put that much effort into going to see a film you wouldn't expect it was going to be out in you know three four weeks time. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's a pretty good good sign that, that it's a it's a good way to go for Craig and uh, the uh, the team. I also think it's a good sign for Netflix to go go down right if they want to recuperate any loss. They may yeah, have I, yeah. I mean it, it would suggest that they're they're doing the right thing mm-hmm. if that happens. But I mean they've they I think it'd be a pretty risky move to do it with most of the stuff that Netflix produces. Yeah. But no, they need to be selective. Yeah. They need to be very selective. But it does show that they are putting effort into some of the stuff that's being produced and it's it's got it's got an audience that will happily pay for it and watch it when it comes on Netflix. Yeah. Well I wonder whether the uh the cinema release was part of its the deal they did with Netflix because basically the story is they obviously they made um, Knives Out, the first one, I think with Lionsgate in 2019. It was a massive hit for them. Um, and then Ryan Johnson, um, producer Rand Bergman and, and Daniel Craig then t- took the idea out that they could make sequels. Um, and Netflix was the highest bidder. And Netflix paid a reported $450 million for two sequels. Wow, incredible. Um, but the fact that it's in cinemas, I think, must have been some sort of contractual obligation as part of that deal. I think, you know, I think Brian Johnson was probably keen for this to be seen on the big screen. And, um, yeah, it would have been probably a part of the deal. Um, and also to get a proper cinema release as well, not just... Uh, mm not just in the in the in the smaller release ones but because of that because of that deal we don't know how much it took at the cinema when it was in there for a week and i guess netflix are thinking that they will be able to recoup it with subscribers perhaps Mm. um but i think the problem is i think with netflix and and with wall street they see themselves as a as a brand new sort of streaming platform and if they move into theatrical distribution it's sort of saying we're not different to anyone else um we're not it's not unique so it sort of almost goes against everything that netflix stands for stands for by going into cinemas mm-hmm. um but then so i think that's the that's the reason for it so did adverts and they've gone down that route so well yeah. exactly i mean anything anything can happen at netflix now can not it yeah yeah enter benoit block do you know what it's really good to see daniel craig having fun in a, in a role and you could really sense that in this yes something we we've not always seen from the bond films i would say yeah he's definitely grasped it hasn't he and, and, and you can see him actually like trying to really create the character which mm. is, is is nice to see and there's the certain scenes and films with bond where he's sort of going through the motions but yeah i, I think he's, i think he's an interesting character and he's definitely one that you look at daniel craig's like like past roles and he's done a lot that are sort of quite samey but he has done some that are 
quite varied. And I think Benoit Blanc's probably the a good example of him going right. I'm really going to go all in on this one and and try and and, and really make his character interesting. Yeah, you wonder how much of it a part of it is a conscious thing to sort of distance himself from what we think of him as mm. as James Bond. I think it's definitely part of a um, part of a wider strategy for him. Because did you see Logan Lucky as well? Yes, that's what I was I was thinking about when uh, I was I was his sort of moving around different characters that he was trying yeah he played sort of like a redneck didn't he um criminal and he had a very broad accent in that as well didn't he and a funny haircut and uh um yeah and then yeah, of course there's, against type. there's the advert that he did recently as well yes yeah put your loving on me finally and cut someone i saw said said it had big divorce dad energy <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's pretty yeah, pretty right yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I think this film has a little bit of as well, and um, I think yeah, I, I do enjoy seeing him playing Benoit Blanc. And I thought that first scene of him in the bath um, was was quite funny. Mm. Just that idea of um, this detective being cooped up because of lockdown or whatever, and and sort of being forced to play some rubbish game with Angela Lansbury on. I, yeah, I, I, the lockdown thing is strange for me in that film. It, mm. it it's like there's they start off with it and then they they just leave it. But it doesn't need any of that. It sort of dates it a bit for me. And especially, I got a bit confused by that a bit in the bath because I liked it, but he was on the... I was trying to work out why they were on it. I assumed it was a sort of net Netflix link up. Like, I knew one of... The, what was the name of the lady who was in Russian Doll? She's a Netflix star, isn't she? But I was assuming, Natasha Leone. Yeah, I was assuming that it was like a Netflix cell, like they do. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I only knew three of the people, so I had to work out who the other person was and, and why it was associated with it. But... It didn't seem to me. I could see why you'd do that in a film. You're referencing people that have starred in, you know, similar murder mystery type things, um, but it wasn't clear enough for me. It just didn't. I didn't quite see why. Understand why he was doing it. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's sort of. A, it's a comment on him being this famous detective, right? It's not just that he's renowned for being a detective. He, he's like he is world renowned. Everyone knows who he is. Yeah. Um, which kind of works in that world, doesn't it? Um, the other person is Stephen Sondheim, I think, isn't it? Uh, yeah. It's Stephen Sondheim, Angela Lansbury and Natasha Leone, mm-hmm. and they're playing Among Us, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. Which I think is a funny sort of uh, thing. But, I mean, you, you mentioned the coronavirus lockdown thing. That was something I was going to bring up later, actually. Because for me, just it just didn't... was It was unnecessary mm-hmm. and it didn't add anything to it, unless I'm missing something. I can no. understand if it came out in the depths of it, but yeah. it surely yeah. like it's too risky a move to put it in and for a film that's being released later when like covid isn't going to be a major thing so sort of it actually made me think this is quite an old film when i first yeah. started watching it mm-hmm. i i felt the same as well and i always i think moving forward we're going to want to see as little of that period of time as possible right we all lived it and it was horrible so yeah unless you completely lean into it you might you might be able to do a film where you lean fully into covid Mm -hmm. and people go i remember that that was that i remember that happening but just to reference it it's like this is a murder mystery on an island you don't need to do that but the thing is they could have used it because the whole mask thing that could have been part of the mystery yeah And, and again they didn't they didn't lean into that so yeah, yeah it's yeah. very strange. I, I, I can't work out what that discussion would have been like in the the writing room where they went. Oh, here's an idea, and everyone went, "Yeah, let's definitely stick that in." Yeah, was it? But there was it you that said, "Do you think there may be some scenes that fell on the cutting room floor for that that would have made made it tighter yeah, a little I, bit more?" Yeah, I wonder if there was like a subplot that sort of played into it a little bit more. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, there were some funny moments within it, you know, like the um, Kate Hudson character being like this party animal who does what she wants. And the fact that she was having huge parties in the middle of lockdown sort of helped to explain who she was. And then the fact that she had that sort of um, fishnet mask on was quite funny as well when she arrived at the boat. Mm -hmm. And then also the divide between the mask, who was wearing a mask and who wasn't on the uh, on the yeah. um, the the pier because it's just I think it's like Dave Dave Batista's character and um, his girlfriend turn up and they're not wearing it but they're sort of yeah. I guess that's part I of their think character, that would have worked it? during lockdown people would have really noticed that and they've gone these what what they're doing mm. but I didn't even spot that I did I, it, was, it was almost like I don't I don't care just move on with the storyline because clearly it's not like a focus yeah but Brendan you wanted to speak about a, a cameo and that sort of happens quite early on in the film is that the one you're thinking of or are you thinking of a different uh, one? Which one are you thinking of? Well, Ethan Hawke is the guy uh, on the on the pier, isn't it? Yeah, but I missed that, so I'm not thinking of that. Um, su- surprisingly, oh. I missed that one. Um, mine I enjoyed was Hugh Grant because that really did pop out of nowhere. Oh, that was that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. that was good. It's like, of all the people, if you do a list of like 100 people, I would never have guessed Hugh Grant was going to answer that door. No, and Benoit Blanc, Benoit Blanc's uh, uh, lover, isn't mm. he? Uh, apparently, according to uh, what Ryan Johnson and Daniel Craig have said yeah. about the film. Um, which I mean, does that add an, add anything to it? I guess not. I, I think it, it it's a nice little. I, I enjoyed it when I saw it. I was like, oh, that's quite 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 mm. funny. But it, it's almost in the first film there wasn't any of that really. There it was it was they're building up the characters and everything. This one they've they've thrown a few things in which are a little bit jarring for me. It's not necessary where it's just you know. Hugh Grant pops up, Angela Landry pops up, where you go, ooh, cameo, nice, good, Marvel cameo, <laughs> which, which I don't think you need. I think it cheapens it a little. I, I don't think the murder mystery world needs those things. It, it's almost, yeah, you're right. It's like it's almost like an Avengers-style uh, cameo. Because, I mean, the, the, both of the films have been incredibly um, star-laden, haven't they, in terms of the cast? Yeah, and that's, that might be why you don't like the cameos, because it's already yeah, an it's ensemble. Already, it's already, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it sort of almost diminishes the stars that they've got mm. in it by saying, "Hey, we've got even more famous stars, and they're just going to pop up and do a, a yeah. do a quick thing." You could, they, you could have like Hugh Grant could have been a character in that. Angela Lansbury could have turned up and been a character in that. Mm. But yeah, but just to throw them in, it's like we've got enough. We've got enough now. Don't need any more. Um, you must have enjoyed the Jeremy Renner nod, though. On the... <laughs> what was the Jeremy Renner on, nod? The, on the sauce? The hot, the hot sauce. sauce. Yes, yes, <laughs> that was, that was yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's like in the writing, isn't it? You've got to find that pitch perfect person. Mm-hmm who the hot sauce could be by. Yeah. Uh, Jamie Renner is the level of actor <laughs> slash Hollywood star who could have his own hot sauce. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think is is really good writing, I think. Mm. Um, and uh, talking about the writing, I guess the thing I, I love about Ryan Johnson's stuff and like all of his all of his movies is how they sort of, um, they sort of sub- subvert your expectations, right? In that he tells you what the genre is going to be but then it's kind of not how you expect it's going to be. Um, and in the first one, I thought it was really smartly done. Uh, by the way, what did you both think of the first one? Love the first one. Love the first one. Thought it was yeah. absolutely spot on. Surprisingly good. Like one of those films where you go in and go, okay, I'll watch this. I think it's going to be all right. And you come out and you go, actually, that was fantastic. That was yeah. really good. I love those sort of films that come out of nowhere and just really yeah. impress you. Yeah. And, and even things like when you 
at the time, Daniel Craig was doing Bond and kind of thought, oh, he's, he's going to be a bit, he's going to be just playing Bond in this. He didn't. He played someone completely different. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the, the and and also it was an ensemble cast, but an ensemble cast where they really put a lot of effort into character development, and that's you don't get that with a lot of ensemble casts. Um, so yeah, it was surprisingly good, and it, yeah, that's obviously why they you know made the second one with cost so much money. Yeah, I, I mean, I loved the first one. I saw it at the cinema, and then. Um... I remember my mum was my mum was staying at ours and we were looking for something to watch. I think it was on Amazon or something, and I just thought this is just like the perfect movie to put on with your mum because it it works for all ages. Everyone understands the dynamic of a whodunit. Everyone can appreciate the sort of the different twists. And I guess the point I was getting at with the writing and how he subverts it was that in the first one, he tells you who's done it right at the start, pretty much. Yeah. You know, there's, you know, the guy's died, and but then you also know how he's done it, and then it becomes uh, sort of why it becomes a why done it, and then it all sort of turns on its head, doesn't it? Like mm-hmm. everyone's trying to figure the things out and uh, uh, unmask the real killer, and everyone's trying to protect different people. I thought that was really neatly done, but in this one, um, spoiler alert, I, I think it's really smart how you don't the the murder mystery, you don't know the the murder mystery is until about the halfway point. You don't even know who's died. Mm. It's set up to be a murder mystery weekend. And you think they're there to solve it. And you think Bron is going to die. Edward Norton's character is going to die. But he doesn't. Yeah. And then it turns out the person who's died, died before the film even started, which I think is really, really neat. Yeah. And you kind of, I think if it, if it was a old school style murder mystery, you, you, we play the same format over and over again, but you can't do that with big, big films like this because people just go, Oh, it's, very similar to the first one so you have to do that but it comes with risks as well by doing that and and i think there are elements of it which i sort of watched and thought nah they've, they've gone a different they've, they've they have tried to do something different here but i think they've gone too far away from what it is that i liked about the first one yeah i agree and i don't think i was that shocked when the murder is revealed i think it's relatively obvious yeah um yeah but that's part of it as well, isn't it? Because it's the glass onion, right? You can see through to the center of it right from the start. Yeah. But the the joy is in is in the um, in the discovery of it, I guess. Um, it just reminded me of probably one of my favorite scenes is the fake murder mystery that he set up when Benoit Blanc solves it. It's just incredible scene. That is Daniel good. Craig. That is Daniel brilliant. Craig has so much fun with that. I love I love that scene. Yeah. But if anyone can name the killer. Tell me how they achieved the murder, and most importantly, what was the motive? That person wins our game. Any questions? Uh, wait, what do we win? I, what do you mean, what do you, what do you, what do you want? No, no, nothing. I just, I, I just thought maybe there was a prize or something. I, I, an iPad or like, Okay, fine. Yeah, no, no, the winner gets an iPad. That is great, yeah. Uh, you've mentioned the ensemble there, but, like, do you have any particular favourite characters or any, any characters you wanted to sort of highlight? I think, um, what's her name? Goldie Horn's daughter. Yeah, Kate she's, Hudson. She's very good. I think she's she's really good. I actually quite like Ed, Ed Norton in it. I think he's... he's Ed Norton's an interesting one because you, we've not seen him do a lot of stuff recently and it's a ni- it's nice to see him doing something good where he's he's got an interesting character. Um, but I think I think they're all good. I just don't think 
I think for me, the ones in the, the the characters in the first one just had a little bit more depth than they do in this one. Yeah, I agree. But having said that, I also agree about the cast. I think it's a good cast. They all do a great job. Yeah. Um, Batista, I, I really like Batista's character. Um, yeah, Batista's a good dog, isn't he? Yeah. Um, again, everyone's having fun with it. And um, because obviously the way they shot it, because they shot it during COVID, they had to, they spend a lot more time with each other, right? The cast. And and that, yeah, that and that comes across. Yeah, that's true, actually. I never really considered that. They do spend more time just sort of in scenes together. I really love that scene where they're sat around the pool and um, yes. uh, do you know which one I mean? And Birdie's got the magazine cover and uh, that sort of becomes a clue in itself, yeah. doesn't it? But yeah, seeing them all together it, it is great. And I guess that's, um, yeah, I guess it adds to almost like a stagey, a more stagey feel to the film than perhaps the first one in terms of like everyone being together at the same time. Um, yeah, I, I, I really like Jessica Henwick's character, the, the assistant, um, mm. Peg. I thought she was really like nicely done. I haven't seen her in a huge amount of stuff, but I thought she was really, uh, really interesting. And I like the way that the film sort of uh, does that classic whodunit thing where it sets every single character up as having a motive mm, yeah. for wanting to kill Bron. Um, but obviously we then realise that Bron's not the one who, um, who's who been killed anyway. Um, so that kind of gets all, all thrown out as well. Um, my favourite of the ensemble, though, has to be that guy who just keeps popping up. Yeah, that's an interesting <laughs> yes. uh, yeah. <laughs> writing uh, method. It, do, it, does, it sort of pulls you out. You get dragged into the, the script and then he, t- he crops up and you're like, oh, interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he's just a classic red herring. You think he's going to be a big part, integral part of it, but no, he's I don't think just he is. I don't think at any point he's a red herring. I think he, I, from the first time I saw him, I was like, he is just a a, a thing thrown in to make it a little, just add a little humour in every now and then. I, at no point did I think he was a he was a red herring. I have to say, I did. I thought, do you know what? He's going to be some sort of mastermind. He's put all this together. He just reminded me of like that bloke in Deadpool. The <laughs> guy who's in there who's just a normal guy who joins the the group of them yeah right the rob delaney character which is purely there just for a few jokes he's got like eight jokes in it and that's it last but not least peter am i getting catfished here or any powers you want to tell us about any uh no I, i don't have one um i just saw the ad no superpowers at all uh i have both type one and two diabetes yeah, I think the person I thought like didn't get enough to do or wasn't in it enough or didn't have enough interesting part was the Catherine Hahn character. She was Claire, the political um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one who sort of has a link to it all. And she is sort of loosely connected with it, but I don't really feel you get a sense of who she is or why she's there or why you should care. I think perhaps she felt, she, for me, she felt like one, one character too many. She's a bit but, convoluted um, in that she know. had the like, relationship with the other guy. Uh, with with uh, and I and I didn't don't remember much about that relationship, so it can't have been that impactful. But she had one of the most. Yeah. She had the, the beginning of the film where they set each character up and introduce it. Like that was was memorable, and yet it, that was her scene. Really, didn't really mm. move on from that, did it? And I don't know if you remember, but in the bit where the when the murder happens, when the actual when Duke gets killed, she she bump they bump into each other when they're walking across the the floor in the room that they're in. And I was like, oh, it's got something mm. to do with her. But again, I think that's just a classic red herring, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, taking it back to Edward Norton, I think he's an interesting cast, a, a person to play that character because of his sort of personal reputation. 
for being a bit of a tyrant himself. Mm. So I thought that casting was really nice. Um, but I think for me, my favourite was was Janelle Monae, who plays the, the dual roles of Helen and Absolutely Andy. Fantastic. Yes. Yeah. What do you think of her weekly? Yeah, I thought I thought she was good. I didn't. I didn't. It wasn't that surprising when you found out. It wasn't because you it needed to have something like that needed to happen. That that character clearly had something very obvious that was was associated with it, and it wasn't it wasn't part of the story really. It was something completely separate. And I sort of didn't like that. I don't like it when whodunits bring in a completely new thing to the to because it, it it sort of it. I think I think with whodunits, everything that happens has to have something that's already grounded and stuff you already know. But when you bring in a completely new plot device, you sort of go, well, you can do anything then. Like you, you, you can suddenly say, you know, so-and-so's a different person and it, it just sort of loses the impact for me. And and I, I did, at that point, I did sort of drop off a bit and go, right, so they can do anything now. It's it's not as cleverly interwoven as I thought. Well, that's not Janelle Monáe's fault. You know, I think her performance is great. No, her performance is good. Yeah, she, she's, got a she's good playing role. a character that is playing a character... <laughs> Within yes. itself, which I think yes, is always yeah, a, yeah, she's a, good in it. Yeah, a great yeah, talent. But, yeah. but the, the act. I, I with, with their character, I was thinking um, by the end, uh, is there going to be another twist, and it's going to be revealed that the sister was the one that was yes. murdered, mm. and now she's got all her money back uh, because of this good. situation. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was what was happening, um, but that was never. But as soon as that mm, twist never dropped, the case with her being like dual people, then suddenly you're, you're kind of just everything just. Was quite simple after that point because it was very clear what was what was happening. But yeah, no, she was she was very good. Yeah, I've I've always said that she would be a good uh, a person in a Bond film because she's the kind of person that could do the theme song and be in it as well. I think I think that uh, she's got Madonna. that capability, Madonna. like but very much like Madonna, <laughs> very much in the mold of Madonna. Yeah, um, I mean, you watch a lot more Who Done It uh, Wheatley, perhaps, and you know a bit more about Agatha, Agatha Christie. Yeah. Um, stories um brendan you went to see mousetrap didn't you yeah and of course see how they run came out this year yeah. as well yeah. yes which is very much in the same sort of mold well i, th- I think the thing of who done it's a very carefully like a puzzle right mm. you, you, the, mm-hmm. the, the people who write it are writing a puzzle basically that every little thing they drop it has to form part of this whole clever thing because at the end of a whodunit is you as the viewer has to go Ah, see, I uh, remember that, and I. But I think with this, there were so many sort of moving parts and men, so many new things happening that that didn't happen for me. It wasn't like I went back and went, "Oh, I remember that happening and that happening," because none of it re- was relevant hmm. because it just sort of brought a new thing in. So what I think it's more like a a who done it for the Netflix generation because it it, it sits outside of that. It's a little. It, I mean, we we'll talk about the ending in a bit, but the. There's elements of it which are really designed more like a action drama film as opposed to a whodunit. And whodunits are, you look at murder in the building and things, they're very subtle. They're mm. very subtle. Everything that happens has got to be subtle and you've got to sort of, it's got to give you enough information for the audience to pick up on it, but not necessarily give them the answers. Whereas this, numerous occasions, gives you the answers very clearly. And then you're like, okay, right, so that's happening now. And then they sort of mod- go go down that route for a bit. Mm-hmm. But I reckon if you go through that film and look at some of the... They're, they're, I wouldn't even class them as red herrings because they're just things that happen that don't have any impact on the rest of the story. Um, yeah. and, they, and, and at no point do you go, oh, he did that earlier on because you, you know that they didn't... It's have no relevance to it because they've moved the story on so much more since that point. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What I've noticed is that as we're now getting a lot of stuff coming out that was shot during COVID, it all it's all got a, a same sort of feeling to it. So, for example, the menu, have either of you seen the menu? So obviously yes. like, that was similar. They all stayed on together and they shot together because of COVID restrictions. And also White Lotus, which of course is the same. They mm. all shot together, stayed together. And, and it's, it's bringing out films and tv shows that have got a very distinct feel to them a big ensemble you can tell that they're all close and Mm, and and so for me glass onion it feels a bit like the menu it feels a bit like white lotus yeah sort of all mixed into one yeah and you probably sort of lose the especially with something like a whodunit where whodunit is very much the writer has all the ideas you don't you don't, you don't change things when you're filming it. You don't like have discussions amongst the actors and things and go, oh, why wouldn't you try this? You, no, you can't. It has to be the puzzle that I've set out. And if you change that, some of it won't work. And I think that that sort of happened with The Glass Onion where they've they've worked together and gone, oh, I'll try, I'll try doing it like this and try doing it like this. And, and some of the whodunit mystery has been lost in, in, in that, which they didn't have in the original. Just want to bring it back to something you said before, like some, what was it, the, the whodunit for a Netflix generation? Mm-hmm. And this is something we talked about when we were texting after we'd seen it in that um, there is one, a, a criticism or like maybe a, a, something I didn't enjoy with the movie in that it has a sort of a Netflix sheen mm. to it um, in some of the visual effects. Um, because the first one was obviously so grounded in reality, set on that, that uh, country house. It felt very much a real place, um, real people. Everything felt tangible. Whereas in this one, because it had this sort of fantasy island mansion feel to it, like sometimes there were shots, especially that bit where the cars on the sit on the roof and it's yes. spinning round, that you just get this sort of CGI sheen to it that almost I think takes you a little bit out well, of the it's movie. Exactly the same thing that's happening with uh, Brunard and uh, his Poirot films, where they they just they're so glossy and they're so. There's so much money behind them that, it, you know, you sort of want, with a murder mystery, you want it to be very simple and, you know, honest. And you want to spot all the little things that are going on. When you put CGI in, you're like, well, I can't spot anything from this. It's CGI. There's like so much going on. It's the Murder mysteries are all about the little things, leaving something on a table and uh, something somebody does in a room. But if you start blowing it up out of proportion and, you know, there's explosions and things, it's like... There's no point me watching now. I can't spot anything from this. That's a really good point. Um, actually, that leads to my sort of number one gripe with the movie, which is the um, sort of the MacGuffin at the centre, which is that uh, solid, what is it, solid carbon, the fuel that he's yes. going to use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, that solid fuel at the centre of it is just something completely out of science yeah. fiction. And kind of if you take that part out of the film, it sort of doesn't work. And therefore, because of that, it's... Uh, you're adding a layer of fantasy to it, which I think, uh, yeah, sort of distracts a little bit from the um, from the rest well, of the story. I think you can have a grandiose 
MacGuffin at the start, like it's a nuclear scientist that's done this and this, and then you leave it. You don't. That that's not important. It's the people that are important. If you if you if you're focusing on the technology around it, then suddenly you can do anything. Like you know, like anything can happen. But yeah, throwing that in at that point actually confuses it. Like, well, hold on, what? This isn't a MacGuffin anymore. This is like changed how it all works because you know, and it, it ultimately does change how it all works, and it shouldn't do. That shouldn't be the the, the you know what affects the outcome of a murder mystery. Um, and and it really does at the end. I mean, let's talk about the ending then, because it's obviously got a sort of an explosive uh, ending. Um, and one of the other sort of key parts of it is that whole thing around the Mona Lisa. Yes. Does that work? I, <laughs> I couldn't. So I was uh, questioning in it when the Mona Lisa was brought up. It 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 was too much. Like it was like just having it there. You were like, "What well, is it? Is it real? Is that is that part of the well, plot?" Like, COVID, not COVID isn't it? One. It's COVID. That might be one of the reasons why it's what COVID. He was able to loan it because the galleries all shut. Right. right. Okay. So I didn't quite grasp that. But even yeah. then, I was like, "Why have you got it? Like, why are you loaning this thing?" But yeah. but, but in another in any other murder mystery, you could just say this is a priceless yeah. yes. uh, you know yeah, yeah. painting, right? And it could be any painting, and you wouldn't have to sort of say it's the Mona Lisa, the, mo- yeah. the most famous painting yeah. in the world. Yeah. Well, I think ultimately by doing that, anything like all of the security that had around it, the ending that had to it was on that ridiculous grandiose level of the fact that the Mona Lisa was the the, the you know the the thing that was going to it was a massive gamble basically having that thing there and it take it elevates in a bad way a murder mystery from being about the characterization and what was happening to you've got all these massive things going on and it sort of takes away the attention from the personal aspects you're like well what are they going to do with the Mona Lisa why is it there all these sorts of things you can see that happening in a film about you know, Ocean's Eleven, mm. where yeah. you have to have high stakes to make the point of the heist. But the point of this isn't the Mona Lisa. It has no effect on it, really. Like it's the people. Why they're killing each other. Um, so I think it, it. I think it's a strange. It changes the mood of it, and that's what I was saying with like the, the next generation murder mystery. Not necessarily the wrong way to go. Maybe this is a new sort of murder mystery that uh, uh, that people can. You know, people that aren't necessarily into that sort of genre can get into but i just it's very jarring for somebody who's used to murder mysteries yeah it's, it's almost as like yeah. they wrote themselves into a corner because miles yes. bron is untouchable and there's nothing else that would have really got him right this is this yeah. is the one thing yeah. it has to be something on this scale some sort of scandal and yeah. um and it, it it ties back to the stuff that Miles Bron says when he's at the pool when he's talking about breaking the one thing that you sh- no one should ever break or destroying the thing that no one wants yeah. to be destroyed, and that is sort of a cut. That's you th- obviously I was thinking of that when when it happens when they do destroy well, I, I it. I've gone the, the other end. way with it, um, and, and if you're taking a, a lead character who is met, like seemingly rich, powerful, can, beyond belief, that he's beaten by something simple. And that that would be the the nice twist, which is, which is what happens in a lot of murder mysteries when you we have like rich mm. people and stuff. They're normally beaten by the most simple thing. Um, but it yeah, it's it sort of escalates throughout the film, doesn't it? Like you would expect in a, an action film where it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until eventually you've got this massive ending that sort of and, and there's no there's no it does never goes back to the little bits. It's always that's mm. it done. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but overall, did you did you did you enjoy it? Did you like the film? Yeah, I, I think I think it was I, I think it was enjoyable. I enjoyed watching it. I I don't and didn't enjoy it as much as the first one. 
um, just because I think it wasn't as grounded as the first one. But I do think it's as yeah, it's a it's a who done it for the Netflix generation. And I think in terms of what Netflix makes, I think this is one of the best things they make. I think it's a good a good film and a good series for them to have. Yeah, and a great film to be released at the cinema as well, even if it was only a week. I enjoyed seeing it on the big screen. I think that added to the enjoyment. Um, And because they went big scale and there were explosions, that also added to it, seeing that on the big screen. I know know you don't think it's got a place in a whodunit, but, you know. I I, I, I think that um, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, I'm coming at this from the point of view of uh, an old school sort of whodunit fan. Yeah. Um, But if, if it had have been an old school who done it it would never make anywhere near as much money as 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 it's likely to so it's probably it'd be like interesting to see what people say who maybe younger people who you know this is the first one of those sorts of films they've seen mm-hmm. um you know it might open it up up the world of who done it's for them i'm not sure but i think it's good i think it's a good film i just think it's a, a strange genre or a, a strange uh, adaption of a genre yeah i think it's a good film to release just before mm-hmm. christmas as well because more people are going to be at home uh, looking for something to watch and when if you've got a brand new um ensemble daniel craig type film to watch yeah. at home then it's um a good alternative to go and see avatar yeah. um uh at, at home or watching home alone again it's it's a good it's a really good entertaining movie that you can put on christmas i know in america they've got the matilda the musical on netflix as well um and again that would be another perfect watch at home on christmas day sort of movie but we don't get it we got it in the cinema instead um um so uh, for that reason i think I, I really enjoyed it i thought um i thought they did a really uh a really solid job on it but i just had a few major gripes in in which case like you said compared to the first one i don't think i enjoyed it quite as much um, but i still still really enjoyed it uh, does it compare to the first one for you brendan it's not as good um i think they really set the bar quite high to be honest with the first one Mm. um but that said really enjoyed it i think it it does a decent enough job and all the cast i think are pretty good pretty solid performances all round. which is you know in an ensemble that's not always the case if you look at the kenneth branagh poirots that we've had Mm. there's some there's a lot of dead weight you know the the kenneth branagh films are a good one to compare this to i think because they're both uh, 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 an evolution of a, a concept mm. that's been around for a very long time and they both do it in very different ways in fact Br- kind of Branagh just basically does the same thing but blows it up into a spectacle that's unnecessary at least this ties it into the, the to the storyline and, and what they're trying to do so I think this is far superior to Kenneth Branagh's um, Agatha Christie films yeah I agree um, and, and I'm hopeful for the third one I'm looking forward to it yeah, I'm hoping they take it down a notch because well, they can't really take it up a notch, can they? With the <laughs> that's true. Spectacle. I was going to ask what what you were sort of would hope for from from Knives Out three. I know we've had two different locations, two different casts, um, and Brendan, we've both been watching White Lotus recently, yeah. and I saw a, a funny post someone saying that they're ra- both Knives Out and White Lotus will be racing to do a ski lodge mm. series next, and I can't get like a ski lodge setting out of my mind for um, Knives Out. But um, uh, also, like I think someone said for White Lotus, a cruise on a on a cruise would also really work. I think for yeah. the series, I think that could work for yeah. Knives Out as well. Uh, but what about you? What would you like to see from Knives I Out? I think they're bound to do a, a British one at some point. Yeah, tie it back to Britain because that's sort of the home of the original murder mystery. Um, and it would be interesting to see Benoit uh, with a load of English people, maybe a couple of Americans as well. I think I think that's probably what they'll do to to. to beef it up a bit and take it back to sort of traditional roots as well 
Take it to Edinburgh. I think it'd be really interesting to take it. That would it be good, yeah. 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 I can see Stephen Fry doing one if they brought it here. I think it'd be I a reckon, good addition. I reckon that would be the best move they could do if they if they brought in a load of classic English actors and did like a, a full mouse hunt style thing. Yeah. Mouse trap. Mouse hunt. Tip. Timmy Dalton. They need to get Timmy Dalton in. Oh, well, imagine if, they did a, imagine if they did a Bond reunion in that style. You know, that's the way they do it. It could, that could work. It really could. Yeah. And I get the sense that Ryan Johnson is a fan mm. as well. Um, there's a couple of times in uh, in in Glass Onion where I thought, oh, I wonder mm. if that's a Bond reference. There's definitely like when he comes to the island, and the thing comes out of the yeah. the water. But there's also a bit when they they first come into his, you know, his main like hall where all the glass objects are. And Daniel Craig goes behind one of the objects and looks through it very much like Roger does in Moonraker. And I don't know whether it's a direct reference or not, but I feel like Ryan Johnson could do it. That would be a good way to do a sort of Bond reunion on the screen mm, yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe not Lazy <laughs> B, but... Uh... <laughs> Wait till you see what's in my stockings. You like? Most impressive. Very good. Well, yeah, so Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery is on Netflix now. Can uh, heartily recommend watching it over the Christmas period. Do you guys want another Bond cracker joke? Desperate for it. <laughs> this is Darren Leafly again. You'll probably know the answer to this one. Pull the cracker. Oh. <laughs> Yours has got a wall for PPK in it. Um... What was Sean Connery's favourite time of day to play racket sports? Did you know this, BJ? Oh, you've not. You must have heard this one. No, before. I rubbish it. I rubbish it. Cracker jokes. I can't link it together. Well, we'll work out what's a racket sport. Tennis. Right. Okay. And then Howard Sean Connery's there. Right. Okay. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, I don't, I don't think along the lines of uh, these puns. <laughs> I'll do a quick question here from. Uh, from Hold on. The, what's from... I got to do at Christmas? Well, it's just a crap joke, isn't it? In a, it right, that you would okay. get in a uh, in a in a cracker. Okay. Uh, we've got a, a question here from Neil Lee. Uh, he had a, qu- a Christmas, question for the Christmas episode. What is the one Bond movie that wasn't made that you would like to have seen? I would like to have seen Timothy Dalton in Goldeneye. Also, Sean Connery in Honor Majesty's Secret Service. I, I'll dive straight in with one, which I think would have been amazing, which is um, Quentin Tarantino's Casino Royale the 1950s set Casino Royale, which he was wanting to make with Piers Brosnan. I think that was, I think that's the ultimate uh, what if mm. uh, Bond movie. Um, yeah. Well, you, you know, mine's going to go down that route. Mine would be what if they kept him after die another day? Yeah. That that's, that's, that'd be mine. So you're going with <laughs> Piers Brosnan in, in Casino Royale as well. Yes, I am. Yeah. Do yeah. <laughs> you say Sean Connery in on a magic secret service? Well, yeah, that's what Neil said. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'll have, uh, George Lazenby and Diamonds Are Forever. Wow, really? I've never thought about that before, but yeah, I'm taking that now. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd stick anyone in Diamonds Are Forever to make it more interesting. <laughs> well, there we go. Uh, let's move on quickly before we wrap things up, but just talk about quickly about the, the future of Bond. Have you seen that? Well, I'll tell you the latest betting odds if you want to hear them. Go, go on. on. All right, so... Number 10, I'm just going to do it in countdown order. I'm not going to give the odds, but number 10, this is according to William William Hill. Number 10, Michael Fassbender. Too old. Number nine, Dan Stevens. No, it won't be him. Number eight, Richard Madden. 
Can't act. <laughs> <laughs> Number seven, Douglas Booth. Who's that? Yeah, I don't know. Who that is. Friend of yours. <laughs> <laughs> Douglas Booth. He was in Jupiter Ascending, was he? He's like a posh sort of English guy. No. Chiwetel Ejiofor. I think he had his chance. I think he's too old, isn't he? I think he is too old as well. James Norton. Yeah. Yeah, he'd be all right. Reggie Jean, Jean Page. No idea. Uh, Bond for the Netflix generation. Yeah, there we go. And here we go. Here we go. Top three. Tom Hardy. No, get lost. Too old. Aaron Taylor Johnson. Can't do a British accent or act. Oh, I know he is. I actually don't mind him. Despite being British, he can't do an accent. Uh, Yeah, but I think he's... The way I'm seeing Bond going is I'm happy with anything. So um, just want Anything. Good action. Anything. He was all right. Anything. Bullet Train, wasn't it? He was. Yeah, he's quite good enough. But but anything. So Timothy Chalamet, you'd take him. I would actually, just to see it. (laughs) Just to see it. I'll, I'll I'll be bang up for that. Tom Holland. Oh, no, no, I'm not in Tom Holland. No, not for anything. Tom Holland. That's the limit. Holland. <laughs> and then the number one, obviously, is is Henry Cavill. Yeah, yeah I mean the the door seems seems open now. Might as well after after Superman. You know, yeah, he's got a bit of free time snubbed. now. Mm. Well, he's making the Warhammer movies now, isn't he? I'm sure he's not that busy. I'm sure he's quite busy. Um, well, they're, they're not going to make many more than one of those once they they come out. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's going to have a lot of spare time coming up soon. What was the one they did before? The uh, World of Warcraft? Yeah, mm. Warcraft one. It'd, be like, it'd just be like The Witcher, it? wouldn't it? It'd be just another Witcher series. I, I, I just think they need to crack on if they're giving it to him because how old is he now? 37? 38? It's got to be done soon, hasn't it? It, it needs to, now, now or never, you know. Um, Come on, Chalamet. <laughs> got plenty of so time. I wanted- um, just to wrap things up. Oh um, well, before you wrap up, I've yeah, got a little, go little little small quiz. Oh, go on, a little small quiz. Small quiz. So, uh, play your bonds right, okay? Oh my god, I like the sound of this. And uh, what's your best Bruce Bruce Brucey impression? Good game, Ooh, good game, good game. That's not nice bad. To that. see you, to see you, nice. Is very good. Who higher or lower? Right. So, <laughs> uh, so to our American or or non UK listeners, we've probably just sounded like we just had a meltdown there. But uh, <laughs> okay, playing cards right. I don't know what it's known as in in the US. Probably similar, but they normally play it with cards higher or lower, and you have to get through the deck. This I'm doing with Bond titles. Running times, okay? Okay. So I've got four decks, right? But you just do one deck each and try and get through the seven films, okay? So who wants wants to go first? Butler can go. Okay, Okay. what deck? One, two, three, or four? Uh, One. Deck one, playing it safe. Okay. So first we have, turn it over, it's from Russia with Love. Okay. 115 minutes. Okay, that's your first one. Yeah. Turn the next one over. Spectre. Ah. Higher. Higher. Okay. 148 minutes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Here we go. Next one. Moonraker. Lower. Yes. Okay. Right. 126 minutes, that one. Yes. Okay. Okay. The world is not enough. Higher. 128 minutes, only just by two minutes. Yes, well done. Okay, 
Next one, Octopussy. Lower. Oh, oh you loser. It's 131 minutes, I'm afraid. Oh. You didn't get to the end. What a shame. What uh, it's usually a car, isn't it? Like Checkbook a, and pen. Like a Fiat Punto. Um, oh so, Wheatley, Go on. choose a deck. What have I got? Two, three, or four. Two. Number two, here we go. The first one is Honor Majesty's Secret Service, mm-hmm. and the runtime is 140 minutes. Yeah. Next one is Golden Eye. Oh, lower. Lower. Correct, 130 minutes. Next we have Casino Royale, 2006. Higher. 144 minutes, he's in there. Next one, Casino Royale, 67. That's a tough one. Lower. 131 minutes, yes, it is lower. And next we have Diamonds Are Forever. Lower. Oh, 115 minutes. Yes, oh, it is over. He's got two more. He hasn't done it yet. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> but I think he might because next is No Time to Die. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, higher. Yeah, 163 minutes. And then we have Live and Let Die. Lower. 121 minutes. He's done it. You've won the car. Well, we've both won a car. I've been stitched up there. Yeah, but one, he's got a punto. You've got an Aston. So mm. there you go. Oh, mine was harder than his. <laughs> Better bond knowledge. <laughs> well, I, I mean, wrap things up then with just a little quick game that I uh, prepared. My not prepared, but um, are you guys aware of ChatGPT? No, no. Right, it's an it's an artificial intelligence bot that you can ask any question of, and it will give you an answer. Go on. Okay. okay. Yeah. So I thought I'd, I'd I'd go in and with some James Bond things, and I thought you might like to hear some of the answers. Mm. So I started off quite simple. Write me a James Bond movie title. Yeah. And here it came up with. Oh, yes. More than anything. License to Kill, The Revenge of Dr. No. That's fantastic. That's basically, which, that's no time to die, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. which, basi- which basically shows you the limitations of, of, of AI. But the next, so I thought, I've got to refine the question. I think it's in the question. Mm. So I said, what would be a good title for a new James Bond film? Do you want to hear what they come up with? Yeah. Double Agent 007. Okay. Bond yeah. versus Spectre. Yeah. Bond in winter. Oh. Or I like this one. This is my favourite. Goldfinger 2, The Return of Auric. <laughs> okay. Where's the, where's the quiz here? Where's the game? There is no quiz. It was just a game. Um, it's not really it's a game. game you had on your own with an AI. It's a game I had on my own. <laughs> you were just telling us asked, about it. <laughs> well, I just wanted to get your input on what you thought of this. But Brendan, this is one I put in for you. I asked it who should be the next James Bond. It wouldn't give me an answer. But I did ask what it would be like if Piers Brosnan came back and made a fifth film. Do you want to hear about it? Yes. So, if it is possible that the film could be titled Brosnan's Last Stand or Bond One More Time, which I quite like. Bond One More Time. To reflect the idea that this is Brosnan's final appearance as Bond. Daft Punk soundtrack. Yeah. This is Brosnan's final... It could be called Bond One More Time to reflect the idea that this is Brosnan's final appearance as Bond. The plot could potentially involve Bond facing off against a powerful and dangerous villain. I mean, that's not very imaginative, is it? With a storyline that centres around a high-stakes race against time to prevent a global catastrophe. So that narrows it down. I mean, to be fair, I think Pervis and Wade should be shaking in their boots with this AI. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So now we've got it a Bond like they film. Used it. 
So this is this is our looking ahead to the ghost of Christmas future. So Bond one more time. This is our this is our Bond film that we're getting next. I asked Chat AI or Open AI to write as a theme song. Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna sing. So verse one. No, I'm not. I might just add a computer voice though. Okay. Uh, verse one. I'm the man with the plan. The one they call Bond. 007, the code that I respond. With a license to kill and a heart of gold, I'm the one they turn to when the world is in a bind. So it hasn't quite got the rhyming mm, there, but okay. this is the chorus. Are you ready? Yeah. Bond, one last time. I'll take on the mission and I'll make it mine. Bond, one last time. I'll save the day and I'll make it shine. Well, it's way better than Madonna's one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she should have used this. At least it's about Bond. <laughs> Uh, verse two, I face danger and intrigue on every continent, but no matter the odds, I always come out on top. It's a bit of a rough mm. rhyme, that one. Oh, but Shirley Bassey could squeeze that in. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've got gadgets and guns and a charm that never fades, but most of all, I've got the will to win, no matter what it takes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Then you've got the chorus again, and then you've got a bridge. And the bridge, I quite like this, is I'll go anywhere, do anything to pr- protect my country and keep the peace. I'm the best of the best and I always stand tall. When it comes to saving the world, I give it That's my good, all. actually. That's that very is very good. good. Does Bond normally sing Jones. his own song? Yeah, he does. <laughs> in this he does. In this he does. Well, I mean, um, what I would say, Tom, is if, if you want to sort of throw your ideas at us, you don't need to pretend you've yes, this here to Yes, I've spoken to an AI. <laughs> But this, I mean, it's called Chat GPT, and it's um, yeah, it's quite fun to have a play with. But I just thought you'd enjoy that. Mm-hmm. I did ask it to write some Christmas uh, Bond Christmas cracker jokes, but they were dreadful, mm. absolutely dreadful. So um, I went on a different path. Um, all right, well that's it then. So I hope you guys have had a, a good festive uh, time, good festive period. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been good to have you both back. Uh, well, you you back weekly. Brendan Brendan's never left. <laughs> yeah, well, don't I know it? <laughs> Merry Christmas! After the yeah, (laughs) after this festive special, the podcast will be taking a short break while we replenish our stocks uh, for the new year, and then we'll be on the final stretch to get to the letter letter Z. So we've got some fun. Get the AI to do the rest of them. I might do. (laughs) I might do a better job than you would. Um, Oh. um, And to finally, finally wrap things up, I've got a limerick here. Are you ready for this? It's quite saucy. So if your kids are listening, please switch it off now. Um, but this is from uh, someone on Twitter called Anyone But Grayling, and this is a limerick that he wrote for us. Are you ready? Yeah. There was an old man called Sir Roger who had an incredible todger. <laughs> when he whipped it out, the lady would sh- ladies would shout, he's pretty well hung for a codger. That's nice. <laughs> nice. Classic. Oh, Classic. Dear. Very festive. I think you can yeah. get away with todger these days. It's getting I, th- I, th- I think codger's more problematic. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You get Todger in kids' books these days. <laughs> well, on that note, um, I just want to say thank you, Mr. Wheatley, for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you, Brendan, as usual. And thank you to all our lovely listeners over the last year. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us. And thanks for all the support that you guys show. We love it. Um, it keeps us going. Um, and on that note, it just remains for me to say that James Bond 8 podcast will return soon. Ciao. The James Bond A to Z podcast is hosted and produced by Tom Butler and Brendan Duffy. With music by Tom Ingemels and artwork by Helen Dolly. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please like and subscribe 
and leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. Bond. One last time. I'll take on the mission, and I'll make it mine. Bond. One last time. I'll save the day, and I'll make it shine. In you come, Mr. Bond. In you come. That's good. That's good. At least you woke the audience up. Gonna be Sean Connery. Do you want to be Roger Moore? Uh, Sean Connery. Oh, another one. Good, good voice. Good voice. I'll put that in the safe. Okay. Here's your line. Right. Can I rely on a wake-up call for six? That's excellent. That is excellent. Oh yes, sir. Yes. I'll leave you to unpack. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.